0: Elections are cyclical things in Arizona. The major parties hold their primaries in the summer. General election voting ends in November. It takes days to count the ballots. And then we have at least two years of deniers claiming the elections were stolen. At least that's how it seems in recent years. Wash, rinse, repeat.
1: The 2022 election has been over for almost a year but some candidates are still contesting the results in court. And the last legislative session saw a raft of bills that could reconfigure elections, from mandating hand counts to curtailing early voting. And apart from never-ending election denialism, Arizona is seeing interest from organizations eyeing a third-party presence on this battleground state's ballots.
0: While we're still months from Arizona's presidential primary, Secretary of State Adrian Fontes, his staff, and county election officials across the state are busy getting ready for what lies ahead. Welcome to The Gaggle, an Arizona politics podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I'm Ron Hansen. I cover national politics for the Republic.
1: And I'm Mary Jo Pitzel. I cover state politics and policy for the Republic. Today, we're joined by Secretary of State Adrian Fontes. Fontes spent a term as Maricopa County recorder before voters ousted him in 2020. But two years later, Arizona voters made him Secretary of State, overseeing the administration of elections, among other duties. We sat down to discuss how his office is preparing for a busy 2024 and what he's doing to regain trust in the elections process. Secretary Fontes, welcome to The Gaggle.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Well, there's been quite the turnover in county recorder and elections offices. What does this bode for the three upcoming 2024 elections, the presidential preference election, the August primary, and the November general election?
2: Well, the good thing is we don't just have those three. We've got several others as well. Uh, this fall, uh, many smaller jurisdictions across the state are going to be doing a school district bond and override elections. Uh, there may be some other elections in other jurisdictions in March and May as well, and so All of these folks uh, who may be new in the various county election offices are going to have several opportunities to work on systems, uh, work out the kinks, and really gain the experience that's critical. uh, And it's going to be most particularly critical in the fall. So we have at our office really bolstered the training that we've given. We've used some of the folks who had been at the secretary's office for years and some folks who came from the various counties to really augment that training. We split it up so it's not just five days of butts in seats. We've got three days uh, in-person training and a couple of days worth of asymmetrical training online. And we brought in a new learning management system. So a lot of those folks can go back and retake or rewatch and revisit some of those courses. So we're doing everything that we can to provide not just the certification, which is required by statute, but bringing in the experienced folks to provide the best we can for our 15 counties to help them be successful.
0: You pushed hard for more funding for your office and this has happened amid the exodus of election officials across the state in the counties. In the end, you didn't get what you had sought from the legislature. So given that, where are we at in terms of the financial resources and what will that mean for the administration of elections across the state in the duration of this cycle?
2: Well, so there's a couple of parts to that question. First, you're correct. Uh, We got what we got, and uh, we didn't get what we didn't get. But second, a lot of what we were asking for, in fact, a big chunk of it was specifically to directly benefit the counties. Uh, And so the 15 counties are going to have to pick up a little bit of that slack, and that's okay. I think they're going to be well-equipped, and I I absolutely believe uh, that the county boards of supervisors out there are going to be taking this very seriously. That having been said, there was some leftover money that the Joint Legislative Budget Committee Uh, actually pitched our way uh, after some special asks and we did find another bit of of money you know so we're like we're shaking out all the couch cushions and and, and digging into uh, you know under the seats of the car to find all of the spare change we can and we're going to have to do as well as we can with what we've got. We're certainly not gonna get uh, what I was anticipating being what the voters would have deserved, um, but we're gonna get something pretty darn close. And I think that there was another little chunk of HAVA money, which is money from the Help America Vote Act originally from 2004. Congress gave Arizona another little chunk of change. 75% of that is designated to go towards the counties. We are going back to the Joint Legislative Budget Committee to show them what our proposal is for how that should be distributed and what it should be used for. So thankfully, in, in an odd sense, we're kind of glad that the federal government stepped up. But I sure wish the, uh, the, the state government would fully fund elections and make it sustainable so we don't have to run through this battle every couple years. When you look at the leftover money from
0: seat cushions and that which Uncle Sam has sent our way, how much of the money that you sought will you actually be getting, in a sense, from the various sources?
2: Half of it? 75% of it? Where would you ballpark it? Well, I, I couldn't put just that solid of a percentage on it because a lot of what we were asking for was to create some new position for ongoing support for uh, the counties. The money that we did get in the budget was all one-time money. So we had to stretch that over the four years, not knowing that we would get any extra money. The extra money that we did get, we are dumping into a lot of the what was the one-time costs that we had proposed in the budget. So if I had to put a number on it, I'd say we're kind of barreling somewhere in the in the middle, I'd say about 45 to 50%. But that doesn't really account for sort of the, the longer long-term support uh, that the Secretary of State's office really needs so that it can have that ongoing support for the county governments.
0: One last question on this. If I can have you just kind of quickly give us a sense of where you think some of the counties in Arizona are at in terms of their readiness from budgetary standpoint and from just operational necessities. Maricopa, obviously the biggest one. Where are they at? And we'll work our way down quickly.
2: Well, Maricopa is in, I think, pretty darn good shape. They, they've got 62-something percent of our voters Um, and Stephen Richer and Bill Gates and Clint Hickman and the rest of the Board of Supervisors, they get this. They've been in the storm uh, and they understand how much money and where it needs to be spent. Although I think Stephen's a little upset because I've pinched some of his folks from him. Uh, Forgive me, Mr. Recorder, but that's just the way that it works. I think once you kind of start going a little bit further down the line, Pima County is in pretty good shape. Gabriela Cáceres-Kelly, the recorder down there, has a great relationship with their Board of Supervisors. They are making some major adjustments. They have moved into Vote Center model like Maricopa had. They're doing their ballot text messaging system like Maricopa had. So uh, they're in much better shape as far as services go. I think they need a new warehouse. And I think they recognize that. That's not going to happen overnight. Uh, Moving slightly north and between the two big ones is Pinal County. Pinal County is in the process of building a brand new warehouse right now. And they have accelerated that process in a way that I've never seen a government building get built. We anticipate that they will be done before 2024. I'm very, very pleased about that. And I think you guys should look at that, and it should be a model for the way government ought to work, right? A little bit of urgency, plenty of funding, and just make it happen. Once you start getting into some of the other smaller counties, uh, you know, Coconino County in the greater Flagstaff area, Patty Hanson is still the recorder up there. They've got plenty of experience. I think they're going to do well. They could use more resources out in Indian country. There's very little internet access in a lot of these uh, areas. A lot of the precincts up in Navajo land and Hopi land. So the tri-counties, Coconino County, Apache County, and Navajo County uh, really could use some more help in those areas. Uh, Along the Colorado River, you know, La Paz County has got some budgetary concerns, and so does Mojave County. And so they've got to not only deal with elections, but they've got to deal with public safety and public health and all the rest of it, too. Uh, Yuma County, I think, has had a couple of bumps, but just like everybody else, they're getting past them fine. A little bit of lack of resources in Santa Cruz County insofar as human resources are concerned. Their finances are fine. Uh, they've got a decent enough budget, but there are a lot of new folks. And so we're really pitching in to help them. And the folks in Tucson are also helping. Uh, Cochise County uh, is Cochise County. You know, Bisbee is Arizona's Whoville, and there's a lot of fun stuff happening down there. Uh, I'm being a little bit uh, circumspect <laughs> here. But um, look, they've run elections for a long time, and, and we may have disagreements about some of the policies. But generally speaking, I think they, they serve their voters pretty well. Uh, Graham and Greeley County, uh, very small counties, very few resources. They really could use some new help. Uh, And so, you know, just the general survey. And then, of course, there's Yavapai County, uh, you know, um, their new county recorder. I think it she will admit she came in as one of the doubters and she has been converted because she saw the great work that has been happening in Yavapai County by that staff. She still has a lot of those really great people up there uh, in Prescott and I think they're going to be in pretty good shape too. So all in all I'd give us sort of a, a, a an A minus B plus range uh, we're going to be able to deliver a good election. Uh, with the resources that we would have been able to get, I had hoped for, we could have implemented some programs statewide that would have got us straight to an A+, plus, which is, I think, what Arizona wants and deserves. But uh, as you can see, we're, we're paying close attention to what's happening across the whole state.
1: One of the bigger tasks of your office is to update the state's elections procedures manual. It's drawn a lot of comments since the draft version went out earlier this month. Is the manual going to get a heavy edit before all is said and done? Uh, What do you make of the comments that have come in?
2: Yeah, well, to your first question, no, it's not going to get a heavy edit. Uh, A lot of the comments are very consistent. We got a huge number of comments that are speaking specifically to a small number of concerns. And let me give you one prime example. And by the way, let me frame this up. We're getting about as many complaints from the political right as we are from the political left. And so not unlike what the folks at the Brennan Center said recently, I think we're hitting the right tone. Right, We have really put this thing right on track to be consistent with statute, which is what I'd been talking about the whole time and let's not forget this is the rule book for the counties, right? This is sort of the manual in the glove box of the car. They break it out, they refer to it, they put it back, and off they go. Uh, this is not necessarily made for the public, although the public should be informed about how our our, our procedures work, so we tried to simplify a lot of the language so the, one of the concerns I was going to mention was the manual had made a mandate where the statute had only made a permissive Uh, allowance. Okay. And what the statute says that county recorders may open early voting locations in person for early voting within the 27 days prior to election day. The elections procedures manual previously had said shall. Well, I can't give a mandate shall to county recorders and county election departments if the statute doesn't allow me to give them a shall. So we brought it back to the statutory may, which makes some people a little upset Now, what I can say to that is this, just about every county that I'm aware of has locations for early voting and will probably continue to provide those because they may, and they all want to serve their voters. It doesn't matter what party they're from. I don't know any election official that wants to stop people from voting, right? You may get politicians who act that way. You may get some policies coming out of the legislature that act that way. But those folks who work in those offices really do care about the voters and making sure they can vote. So if they're given the capacity to open up more spaces and do more things for voters, they'll do it. And so I can't put a mandate on these officials if the statute doesn't allow me to put a mandate on these officials. And there's some other things uh, that we got some specific complaints on. But I wanted to point that one out because that one we got a lot of comments on. I think the comments were coordinated to our office, which is fine. You know, every person has a choice of sending it in. Uh, We've gotten well over 600 comments in that 15-day period that we opened up. I'm excited to get get them. We're working on cataloging them and indexing them and figuring out where the, the majority of them came in and the conversation's already happening even with some members of the legislature to make some adjustments.
1: So are you saying that that shift from shall to may in, in the language on early voting, you, you don't think that that will limit early voting centers opening up prior to the election day?
2: Well, two things. First, I can't do what the law doesn't allow me to do. So second... No, I don't think it'll limit early voting because I believe in the people who actually run our elections in those 15 counties. So if all these folks really want that to be a shall, and most of the, those concerns come from the political left, then what they can do is what the process allows, get a majority of you know, their side into the legislature and convince the governor to sign a bill that says that. But until it's in the law, I can't really change it because I'm not in a position to change the law. I'm in a position to create this manual based on statute and practice that can give us consistency. And let me be real clear about something. This manual has to apply to Maricopa County, the second largest voting jurisdiction in the United States of America, behind only Los Angeles County, and also some of these counties that only have like six or 7,000 total voters, right? We used to have precincts in Maricopa County, that had six or 7,000 voters. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's a tall task, and I'm not saying woe is me, feel bad for the secretary. Uh, what I am saying, though, is we've got a team of professionals that have done a really, really great job working with the counties for five months to get us the draft that we've got. I'm proud of it. We may make some adjustments. There will be no wholesale changes.
1: Follow-up question on that. We've seen it's pretty strong language coming from Republican legislative leaders. I mean, Senator Warren Peterson, the Senate president, you know, basically said, if you don't make the changes we're asking for, we'll sue you. Do you expect litigation?
2: Well, I don't know why he sent me the letter. He should have sent me a summons into court. Uh, You know, I mean, don't threaten a lawsuit respectfully. I say that to the Senate president. If he had some concerns, he could have picked up the phone and called me uh, and had a meeting. I sat yesterday with Representative Alex And Alex Colliden has sued me, I don't know how many times as county recorder, uh, I think as a candidate and as secretary of state. And he's been adverse to my positions a long time. But yesterday we sat in my office for almost two hours and we went through line by line on the concerns that he and, and Representative Parker sent me. Right. And we came to agreement on some points and we disagreed on some points. I wish the Senate president would have that kind of you know, gumption uh, and just say, pick up the phone and say, hey, Mr. Secretary, can you give me a little bit of time? Let's chat about these concerns. And he could hear what I have to say. I could hear what he has to say. And then we could you know, try to govern as gentlemen instead of constantly putting out nasty letters just to try to drum up political support. Because you know what? If he's going to sue me, he's going to sue me whether he threatens me or not. And, and it would have been nicer to just have a conversation with the guy. I'm sure he's a nice fellow, you know, but I've never had a chance to talk with him. I, I hope that that conversation would be forthcoming. If
0: that's heartburn on the right, let's shift to heartburn on the left. A court recently upheld your decision to allow no labels to qualify for the ballot. You also welcome the forward party as they've announced plans to seek ballot status in this all important swing state as well. Do you expect to see more third parties on the ballot as Arizona, you know, becomes more the object of presidential attention and such, and, and what will this mean for the administration of elections in terms of complicating quick answers as to how things have played out
2: and, and accusations of cheating and, and, and such? Well, look, I can walk and chew gum at the same time, okay? I'm a Democrat. I was, you know, a winner in a Democratic primary, and I got a lot of support from Democrats and others. And, uh, you know, I, I vote my ballot the way I want to vote my ballot, personally. But when I'm the Secretary of State, I've taken an oath to uphold and protect the Constitution of the United States, of the state of Arizona, and the laws thereunto pertaining. And that means I've got to make sure that the rules get followed. And when no labels came to us with their application and their petition signatures, and it looked like they followed all of the rules, we certified the party right? And that's just the way it works. And if any other American citizen, if any other person wants to engage in the process of creating a political party like the Forward Party or like anybody else, if they're following the rules, you got to let them do their thing. This is what the First Amendment is about. They petition the government for a redress of grievances. The grievance was, we don't have a party, we want one. They got one. That's the way the rules work. I don't have any problem with that. I don't have any problem with making sure that as many people who want to engage, engage in this process can. If folks want to run for office, I say let them run for office. If folks want to create an initiative and go do their thing, if they're following the rules, knock your socks off, folks. Go do it because democracy is a participation sport. It's not a spectator sport. Everyone is involved in this one way or another. And so I think we should take pride in the fact That Arizona is so open and progressive, and it's so easy for folks to be able to do what they feel like they need to do as American citizens. The political judgment notwithstanding, and I want to be really clear about that, I can do my job as secretary of state and make sure to advance the interests of little d democracy. It may have negative implications to my own political party. I mean, heck, as you mentioned, it's the Democrats that are suing me, and I'm a Democrat. I'm okay with that. I'm going to stand by the work of my office. I'm going to stand by the Constitution and the rules. uh, And we're just going to have to move on and, and see where the chips fall.
1: Since we're talking about people being able to run for office, there are some arguments coming from constitutional scholars on whether Trump should be qualified for the ballot based on 14th Amendment concerns. Would you qualify Trump for the ballot?
2: Well, the state of the law in Arizona right now, there was a case that went to the Arizona Supreme Court last year, as you may recall, where the qualification under the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which is the same one you're asking about for the president, Congressman Biggs, Congressman Gosar, and Mark Fincham were challenged in that case, if you recall. Now, the Arizona Supreme Court said that because there's no statutory process in federal law to enforce Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, you can't enforce it. Right. That's what the Arizona Supreme Court said. So that's the state of the law in Arizona. Now, do I agree with that? No, that's stupid. I mean, if there's no statutory scheme to enforce whether or not you're a natural born citizen, does someone born in Czechoslovakia get to run for president in Arizona? If somebody's 25 years old, I mean, there's no statutory scheme created in law to enforce the age restriction. Does a 25 year old get to be on the ballot in Arizona for president? According to the logic of the Arizona Supreme Court, they do. So the Arizona Supreme Court was dead flat wrong when they decided as a legal question that because that section three doesn't have an enforcement mechanism, you can't enforce it. That's wrong. What is the actual answer? They never answered it. They avoided it. It was politically convenient for a very conservative Arizona Supreme Court. It was politically convenient for them to pitch it forward. But that's the state of the law in Arizona.
1: So are you saying that your hands are tied when it comes to qualifying candidates for the ballot?
2: What I'm I'm saying is I'm going to follow the law. And the law in Arizona is what the law in Arizona is. Whether I like it or not is irrelevant. That having been said, can the Arizona Supreme Court be overturned if somebody brings a lawsuit? Well, any law can be overturned in a judicial action. Now, I'm not inviting someone to sue me. (laughs) Uh, although it probably will end up happening. But as you indicated, there's a lot of voices out there. Many of the loudest ones from the political right are saying that Mr. Trump is not qualified under Section 3. And in that article that you speak to, uh, the Law Review article written by those folks, I understand, I haven't read the whole thing yet, I haven't gotten to the end, but the New York Times reported out that it basically says that if we qualify Mr. Trump, we're going to get sued. And if we don't qualify Mr. Trump, we're going to get sued. Now, my crystal ball has run out of batteries. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. But what I can say is this. Um, I know what the state of the law is in Arizona, and we'll just have to see if Mr. Trump submits a a request. Because as far as we can tell, The request time period has not yet opened. So we don't know that anybody is officially running for president in Arizona until about the middle of November.
1: So, Secretary Fontes, you have not been shy about criticizing election deniers, even labeling them as fascists for people who continue to contend that the 2020 election and even last year's elections were stolen. How can you bolster trust in your office to oversee impartial elections when you make such critiques?
2: Well, these critiques aren't based on partiality, and they're not based on partisanship. They're just based on an observation of what these people would like to see. They'd like to see elections overturned. They'd like to see legal, fair, free, and open elections overturned. That is a characteristic of someone who falls under that label. Uh, If they decide to take a different tact, they decide to believe in the poll workers and the warehouse workers, those elections officials of their own political party. If they decide to have civic faith in the American citizens who ran those elections, uh, then they're going to get a different label. Uh, The bottom line is this. this This isn't about a partisan attack. It's about an attack against our constitutional order. It's about an attack against the civil society that so many people fought and died to protect. We exported American lives overseas for years and years to fight against folks who didn't believe in free and fair elections, who didn't believe in something other than authoritarianism. And for me to just stay silent is to ignore all those American lives lost because somebody's political feelings get hurt. I'm not going to shy away from what I've said, but what I am going to say is this, this isn't about politics. This is about the constitutional order of the United States of America and how it needs to be protected. and That's why people can trust that we're going to act with integrity. All you have to do is look at the things that we've already talked about. We talked about a no labels party. That doesn't help my politics. We've talked about qualifications for folks. The law is what the law is. That doesn't help my politics. We've talked about the elections procedures manual. I've done things that fly in the face of what a lot of people on my political side of the aisle would think is right. That's not helping my politics. So anybody that says that me telling the truth is going to alienate some folks, uh, those folks are outside the system anyway.
1: Following up on that, um, will you endorse candidates in the 2024 elections? I won't
2: make any official endorsements of candidates, very specifically in in the races where I will be certifying outcomes. I think as a, as a person who is engaged in an official act during the course of those elections, I think that kind of goes beyond the pale a little bit since I'm the one that's going to do the certifying. That having been said, if I am not in a position to actually certify those races, uh, that might be open. I will say this. There will not be a lot of Adrian Fontes electioneering in Arizona. I I reserve that for within the territorial boundaries of the Grand Canyon State, but I I think that's fair. And uh, that's the position that I've openly held for a while. And, uh, you know, there's no reason for me to shift that now.
0: I talked to you a couple years ago about the scene outside Maricopa County's election center during the frenzy of 2020 and how you were concerned about violence, how unstable the situation had become and the need for the sheriff's office to be present and help provide security at that moment. Two years later, former President Donald Trump is under indictment in four courts and under investigation in Arizona as well. How worried are you as an election official about
2: the fallout from his cases and the people who support him? I'm worried more as a dad than an official. I'm worried as a neighbor. Uh, I'm, I'm worried as a, as a partner. Uh, I'm worried for all of my staff and I'm worried for people across uh, the election administration world because for some reason there is a portion of the American public now who believes that violence is the answer. The single most uncivilized way to approach being an American is to raise arms unnecessarily against civilians who are just doing their jobs. Uh, That's what worries me most. Uh, The election administrators across the state of Arizona, as we discussed earlier, are are hurting. We're losing people. We have lost a lot of people. And it's because there is an element in America who has chosen anti-American tactics. They've chosen to threaten to kill people, threatening people's children. Uh, we had an election official whose dog got poisoned here in Arizona. I mean, this is, this is absolutely monstrous and disgusting. Uh, and so am I concerned? You bet I'm concerned. I'm concerned because there's a lot of Americans out there who have lost their minds when it comes to how to react like adults. And it's just really, really hard to stomach sometimes. Uh, All of that having been said, we're going to push forward. You know, this old Marine isn't going to be deterred by some threats. Uh, I never have been and I never will be. And we're going to do everything we can to keep our staff, our families, uh, and our voters as safe as possible using every means that we can. Um, I wish we had more. Uh, I wish Arizona had some statutes protecting election officials from threats of violence. Uh, I've been advocating for that at the state level. I've been advocating for that at the federal level. I've talked to the Department of Justice. I've talked to the White House in the West Wing about this. I've talked to the chair of the US Senate Rules Committee about this. Um, Thankfully, we got a little bit of movement this year from Senator Shope in introducing a bill that protects addresses for election workers. Uh, And we appreciate the governor signing it and so many other people across the aisle, both sides, uh, jumping in on that. Uh, But this is a big deal. And we're we're in a really dark time in America when basic civilian kind of clerical worker folks are under physical threat. That's a horrible, horrible place to be in America.
1: Perhaps this question might seem redundant, but as we sit here about the fall of 2023, what do you see as the greatest obstacle to a free and fair election next year?
2: I think the greatest obstacle is the proliferation of uh, mis and dis and malinformation. That's a mouthful. I just call them lies. You know, people out there uh, spilling untruths because of either the sport of it or they think it's going to influence somebody's politics one way or another. The worst thing about that is it is a very insidious uh, and sinister form of voter suppression. A lot of people now are just saying, you know what? I don't even want to bother getting engaged in this because I don't know who to believe. I don't know who to trust. I don't know who to look to. And that's the worst thing about this because, you know, the kind of autocracy that I talked about earlier, the kind of, you know, uniparty strongman governance that we have fought against, literally fought and, and, and had Americans die against in the past. That happens when people don't vote. That happens when people get cynical and don't participate. That happens when we don't have lots and lots of voices at the ballot box, and, and, and let me just wax poetic for one second here. You know, a lot of people will say that the strength of the United States of America is our diversity. And I think that's always been true, but I don't think it's just true to ethnic diversity or religious diversity or language diversity or, or any of these other diversities. I think it's true based on our diversity of ideas, on our diversity of thoughts. And when you have different ideas and different thoughts, you have to have some civilized mechanism by which to come to a decision point. And sometimes that can change. That's called Elections. And so our greatest strength, the diversity of ideas, our ingenuity, our entrepreneurship, all of this stuff boils down to this. If we don't have elections and faith in our elections, we don't have America. And those folks out there that are driving us against one another for their own cynical means, they're driving America against America. And that's bad. And so I think that's the biggest threat. Now, how does it manifest? Well, Artificial generative intelligence is an emerging problem that we're dealing with. Uh, We've got foreign actors that we have to deal with from Russia and China and and North Korea and Iran who are constantly attacking and probing into our electronic systems. Uh, You know, we've got these domestic concerns of people running around there with long rifles at ballot drop boxes, scaring people. Uh, You know, there's a lot of stuff out there that's problematic. But I absolutely have faith. I absolutely believe in the American people. I believe in the people that run our elections who are those poll workers. They're those vote center workers. They're those people that do the adjudication and drive the trucks with the equipment to the polling place that's out of school and the folks that make sure the air conditioning is working. You know, those people are the people who run our elections, and I believe in them.
0: Well, Secretary Fontes, thank you for taking the time to talk to us about all these very important issues. If people want to follow you on social media, where can they find
2: you? Uh, They can find me on threads at adrian.fontes. That's more my personal, and I think it's Az Secretary on Instagram. They can always go find those feeds at electfontes.com, and then all of those feeds are are plugged into that website. electfontes.com is where you can find a whole bunch of information about me and stuff, and, and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming in.
2: You bet.
0: That is it for this week, Gaggle listeners. Have questions about today's episode or topics you'd like us to cover on the show? Send us a message at 602-444-0804 or a voice memo to thegaggle at arizonarepublic.com. That's one word, all spelled out. This episode was edited and produced by Amanda Liberto. Script writing and research by me, Mary Jo Pitzel, and Amanda Liberto. News direction from Kathy Tulamello and audio oversight by Kaylee Monahan.
1: Music comes from Universal Production Music. Never miss an episode of The Gaggle by subscribing to us wherever you listen. If you learned something new today, be sure to share this episode with a friend. You can also leave us a review and rate us five stars. You can follow The Gaggle on social media at Podcasts. I'm at Mary J. Pitzel, that's P-I-T-Z-L, on X, formerly known as Twitter, as well as Threads.
0: And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, that's H-A-N-S-E-N, on the same social media platforms. The Gaggle is an Arizona Republic and azcentral.com production. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.